Tennis fans, and welcome to yet another edition of the Southpaw Slice. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre, and plenty to recap on this week's episode, including an exciting interview that we have uh, moments in front of us with Bianca Andreescu, but yet another storyline, Mike, that we're going to get to later in the episode. Just incredible how many Canadian breakthroughs we seem to have in 2019 as Braden Schnurr this past week at the New York Open reached his first career ATP final. Yeah, Ben, I can't remember a season that started so well for uh, Canadian tennis in general. And here it is happening on both the men's and the women's side. And from two players that I don't think any of us really, uh, you know, expected it to happen from uh, this early, let alone at all, potentially. So to see it happening on both sides is is great for Canadians, you know, for young boys and girls in the country as well to, to have more role models to look up to. And uh, certainly lots to talk about with, with both. But uh, Bianca, first and foremost, she's been getting a lot of press lately, and, and rightly so. And, and I think it's uh, pretty cool that she took the time out to, to speak with us this week. Yes, she did. And uh, we'll listen to that back right now, my interview uh, late this past week with Bianca Andreescu. Bianca, thanks, uh, first of all, so much for joining me. And I, I know, I imagine this uh, 2019 has been just such a whirlwind. You reach the finals in Auckland, then you head over to Melbourne and reach the second round of the Australian Open. You're winning your first title in Newport Beach shortly after that, and then it's Fed Cup, and uh, you're helping Canada beat the Netherlands in a playoff tie. Have you had a break, I guess, in the last month and a half to just kind of pinch yourself and, and take it all in? <laughs> uh, yeah, I have. Uh, I got a couple days at home uh, after California, and now I'm at home as well, so um, I got a chance to kind of reflect on what happened. Um, it's been really crazy, but I'm loving it. I'm uh, really grateful with what um, I've achieved. I'm playing really well right now, so hopefully I can keep up this momentum for the rest of the season. And I really, it, it all started, I guess, at the ASB Classic for you. And I know 2018 was a bit of a different story because you were dealing with some injuries and missing some time. Was there a certain turning point maybe in, in the preseason when you were training or a certain match where you felt like you just hit a different level? Yeah, so I played a couple of challengers back in October, November, and I won two of them. So I think at that point is where I started gaining my confidence back, especially after being injured so much. Um, So during the preseason, I tried my best to recover well. I worked a lot with my physio and in the gym, and I think that's all paying on the court. And I think uh, probably for for many Canadian fans, I mean, we saw the moment of arrival, so to speak, for for Denis Shapovalov at least a couple of years ago in Montreal when he had that 
big win over Rafael Nadal. Was there maybe that same feeling for you in Auckland? And was it the win over Wozniacki or the win over Venus that kind of did it for you that, that realized, wow, like what, what have I just done here? I think it was the win over uh, Venus. She's a legend. I mean, um, it was a crazy night for me. I was in awe with my trainer for like 30 minutes after the match. Um, But yeah, I think it was at that point where I'm like, okay, like I'm able to keep up with them. And now I'm able to actually beat these top players. And after I saw Dennis, have that incredible um, summer season. Uh, I believe that if he can do it, I can do it. So I think um, it's my turn now. <laughs> <laughs> and it certainly has been. You've won 18 of 20 matches this season. Now that you've had, I guess, so much early success in, in 2019, do some of your goals, I guess, maybe going into the year now change? Yeah, so before Auckland... My coach and I sat down and set a goal to get into the main draw of the French Open automatically, which I've accomplished already. And I actually haven't spoken to him by, after after um, setting that goal. So when I see him before going to my next couple of tournaments, we'll probably reevaluate. Um, but from my point of view, I'd say that my goal would be to crack the top 40 by the end of the year. And uh, that coach being uh, Sylvain Bruno, how much has he just helped in your development, I guess, in taking those additional strides that we've really seen over the last few months? Yeah, he's done an amazing job. I think we have a really good connection on and off the court and He's had a lot of experience with great players, so I'm really grateful to have him by my side. And just delving into your background a bit, I know uh, so you're born in Mississauga, but then as a child you actually grew up in and learned to play the sport in Romania. Uh, at what age did you or maybe your parents realize that you had a bit of a natural talent for tennis? I would say when... I got pretty serious with it, so at the age of nine, because at the age of seven, I was kind of going back and forth with um, different sports, but yeah, at nine, when we moved back to Canada, that's when I started getting more serious. That's uh, great, and were were your parents uh, an athletic family as well? Yeah, they didn't play anything too competitively. My dad played soccer in high school and college, and my mom played handball. Okay. But it wasn't anything serious, yeah. Right. And just uh, from watching you on the court and, and watching your skill set throughout matches, I, I notice you seem to just have a really, really good natural feel. Like you can mix in slices. We see some drop shots. Has that always been the case, kind of having a natural feel for the ball, or is that something you've developed uh, more recently? No, I've actually always played like that. It was because I'm, um, I just get bored, so I want to try something (laughs) new every other shot, I guess. Um, But yeah, I think that really helps me against a lot of the players on tour because I find that most of them just have one 
shot, I guess. They just hit the ball, but they don't really do much with it. So I think my game throws a lot of them off. And uh, what was it like, I guess, transitioning for 2019? We we had the start of the season where you're playing hard courts in Auckland and, and then as well in Melbourne, Newport Beach, and then you have to go play on the clay for Canada against the Netherlands. Was that an easy enough transition, or did you find that difficult? No, it was actually fine because my favorite surface is the clay. So I actually was really happy when they announced that we were playing on clay. I think that my game style really suits it. And I had a week and a half to train on it before with um, the whole team. So it was good. And it probably wasn't expected, I guess, when you were going there to face the Netherlands to maybe be the the lead singles player. Was that a different type of pressure for you at, at Fed Cup? And, and how were you able to cope with that? Not going to lie, I was really nervous before both matches. Going into Fed Cup, I want to do my best because I'm playing not only for myself, but for a team. I would say it's one of my favorite tournaments because of that reason. You never get that chance in this individual sport. Um, but my coach, my coach helped me with um, coping with all the nerves, and she gave me a really good pep talk before both matches. Heidi Eltipak, it was her first tie, and I'm sure a very memorable memorable one. We won for love. Um, so it was pretty amazing for yeah, all of us. Yeah, it, it, uh, it was certainly amazing. And uh, I, I know you guys have drawn... Uh, Czech Republic uh, for the event in April. And, uh, of course, they're the defending champions have so many terrific players with uh, Kvitova, Pliskova. What expectations are you maybe placing on yourself there? And what, what are the team's expectations like going into uh, a playoff tie where you're going to play, going to be playing, obviously, a fantastic country? Yeah, well, every tournament I go into, I want to win it no matter what. Um, but first, whenever I step on the court, I want to play my best tennis. And even if I lose, uh, but I've given 100%, and that's all that matters for me. And obviously, for Fed Cup, we want to win. It's our first world group world group playoffs in, I think, a couple of years now. So we're really looking forward to it. And we have no pressure, like you said. They're defending champions. But um, winning that would mean a lot for me for the whole team and all of Canada and just uh, a couple more questions for you Bianca obviously you're still a teenager and so much has transpired for you in terms of success over the past uh, month and a half how have you been able to just handle the the new media attention uh, it's pretty overwhelming <laughs> understandable I'm uh, I'm loving it. I really can't complain. I mean, I don't know anyone that doesn't like attention. <laughs> so um, it's it's been pretty good. And I have a wonderful team around me, so um, they help me stay grounded. That's a great attitude to have. Just the last question, I guess, for, for Canadian tennis fans and tennis fans around uh, Toronto and the GTA. Scheduling-wise, uh, where can we expect to uh, watch you playing next? I'll be playing in Acapulco, which is a 250, and then Indian Wells and Miami Open. Perfect. Uh, thanks so much uh, for the time uh, today. Really appreciate it. 
My pleasure. Thank you. So there you have it. Uh, interview with 18-year-old Bianca Andreescu from Mississauga. And I don't know about what you took from it, Mike, but uh, she strikes me as a player who's obviously confident, but at the same time, I think she's she's fairly grounded and seems like she's in a good place mentally right now. Yeah, she's definitely not overconfident, but you do sense that she's got a, a very uh, firm grasp of, of what she can do on court at the moment. And and she's super fun to talk to eh? also, eh? Like, Many 18-year-olds would be either nervous, you know, talking about themselves or, or sort of assessing where they're at right now or maybe run the risk of, of yeah, sounding over overconfident with what they've done. And she just comes across as being super fun. And uh, to, to me, you know, some of the interesting things I, I took from her interview with you, uh, one was the fact that she placed a lot of um, importance to her challenger victories at the tail end of last season. And uh, at the time, I remember some people questioned, myself included, why is she pushing her season so late? She should probably take some time off to, time off to, to heal and, and recuperate from some of the injury issues. Even I bumped into her mother late last season, and, and she was questioning why is Bianca going to go and play these last two events. But she just wanted to. She just had the drive to get back on the court and go. And it, it seems now, obviously, in, in hindsight, in retrospect, that that was a great decision because she alluded to the fact that that gave her the, the confidence to start this year off so strongly. And the other thing, and, and I'll let you kind of chime in on this one, but it really seems like the Canadians are pushing each other and building off of each other's success. And I think that's a big positive for, for tennis in Canada right now. Yeah, no question. I mean, I, I really just brought up Denis Shapovalov's run a couple of years ago in Montreal as sort of a reference point of seeing a Canadian have a break, breakthrough on some sort of stage where Canadian tennis fans really learn about them. And Bianca Andreescu replied uh, a bit to my surprise that she was in, inspired by that moment, seeing Denis Shapovalov break through in Montreal with a win over uh, Rafael Nadal and getting to a semifinal there. Now, obviously, I, I suppose at the ASB Classic in Auckland. It doesn't have the same maybe pedigree, not the same number of eyes on it and not the same number of eyes on it in Canada. Uh, but certainly you're turning heads when you beat uh, Caroline Wojniacki and Venus Williams. And, and she mentioned uh, the moment where it really sunk in that she's on just this incredible, magical run was that win over Venus, you know, someone who's a seven-time uh, Grand Slam champion. I was also thinking back to how, Mike, you yourself were, were covering the Tevlin Challenger last year and it almost seems like Bianca's push continued to play those challenger events leading her into 2019 it's like she was making up for for missed time with that back injury yeah she seemed like she certainly wanted to get in uh, you know more more time on the, the court before the season officially came to an end and, and she was hungry for it and eager for it and she enjoys playing tennis I mean this isn't just ranking points and, and dollars and clearly it shouldn't be for someone who's so young and just kind of getting going but she really enjoys being on the court and has fun with it I mean she said to you one of the reasons she throws in so much variety into her game is because she gets bored playing the same shot back to back and I just love that youthful exuberance and uh, and so great for her to have this uh, this start so far this year and and I just again to get back to sort of pushing each other on on the side of the Canadian players I like how it's not just compartmentalized between the male players and the female players, but that they look to each other as well. And uh, even when I was speaking with Braden Schnur recently, he said that Bianca's run in Auckland really kind of inspired him to, to go out and, and continue striving for better. And obviously now that's, that's worked out so well for him uh, after the, the crazy week that he had in New York. 
Yeah, uh, undoubtedly so. Clearly, uh, these Canadian players are watching one another. And as Bianca Andreescu said, the next time we will see her is Acapulco, which is uh, February 25th when that event is starting next Monday. Uh, we will talk about Braden Schnur right now because it was simply a storyline <laughs> clearly neither of us were looking out for uh, for our podcast last week. Really something that I don't think was on anybody's radar. A 250 event in New York uh, with a handful of, of obviously American players. John Isner uh, playing there. Francis Tiafo playing there. And Braden Schnur reaches his first career ATP final. It just made the more, more stunning by the fact that he had never won a main draw match before this. It's just absolutely incredible. Yeah, I don't even think Braden Schneer expected anything like this could could ever happen, or let alone happen, you know, so early uh, this season. Given you know what what his career trajectory has been like in the past, but you know he started out with that first victory, and he had to win that match. It was against a young Canadian wild card, Jack uh, Minji Lin, and and really, if, if Schneer had not won that, it would have been very questionable. So you almost expected he was going to get that first ATP win given his, his solid draw there. And then he just built on that, but boy, did he ever build on it? I mean, victories over Steve Johnson and Sam Querrey in particular, those are two big time players, both ranked in the top 50. Both those guys have been around for a long while, have experienced some, some pretty big career highs uh, during their time. So for him to take both of them out in very close matches, uh, obviously he was just building that confidence and that momentum uh, match to match, and uh, it's it's wonderful to see the maturity that he's displaying. And I spoke with him a few weeks ago before this big run, and even before his challenger final appearance in um, in Newport Beach. And he was just talking to me about how he's focusing on his game over the results. And he said, "When my game is in place, the results will come." And clearly, after what he's done this week in in New York, uh, the the game is in place. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, he's he's really uh, built up that ranking steadily with uh, better and better results. Uh, latter half of 2018, when you see him making some deeper runs and challengers, and as you just mentioned as well, Newport Beach, where he got into the final and then uh, ran into Taylor Fritz and lost there. And in this case, uh, yeah, a couple just big serving Americans, kind of your prototype of an American player that you could picture is a Sam Querrey and a Steve Johnson. I was anticipating that he might have to deal with John Isner in the final. Instead, it's Riley Opelka and. And uh, Schnur has some guts out there, too. It, it could have been very easy for him to fold in that final after losing the first set 6-1 and facing a couple championship points and a tie break in the second set. He rallied, forced a third set, had a chance to win it at the end, too. Uh, so now that ranking uh, really is going to change uh, his career arc, I think, a little bit. Just more opportunities, more things to play. He was probably not anticipating playing uh, right off the bat in the main draw of Delray Beach, but now he's 107th in the world, and that creates another opportunity for him and now suddenly he's knocking on the door of the top 100 yeah it's, it's particularly surprising to me because I, I didn't expect this from him no uh you know figured he was going to be you know trying to get inside the, the top 150 pu- pushing towards 100 maybe by the end of the year if things really started to click but you know here's a guy who took an interesting route to becoming a pro tennis player he chose to go play college NCAA University of uh, North Carolina, which is not the traditional route. I mean, we think often juniors, after a successful junior career, they, they go and they turn pro. And, and he didn't have that successful of a junior career. Uh, in fact, he told me, I think his last year of juniors, he lost first round in, in every junior slam that year, which kind of 
pushed him into going the college route. So to see him now, you know, having decided he, he left his, his college degree with three semesters to go, thought it was time to give it a go at, at the pro level. And it's really nice to see someone like him who's really been battling the last two years uh, get rewarded. And, uh, and surely he's got to go into Delray Beach now if he's getting a, uh, a special entry into the, the main draw there. You've got to take advantage and, and hopefully build on that momentum. Yeah, he will, uh, and he will absolutely uh, be playing in that tournament. I believe he's slated to face uh, Adrian Manorino, uh, his first round, which is going to be tougher than probably anybody he has recently faced, but now he's going to be a bit more battle-tested, and, and everything changes. Uh, another tournament we had this past week, 500 event in Rotterdam, which uh, Gail Monfils captured the title, but we'll talk about the Canadians there, Denis Shapovalov and Milos Raonic, both playing, and Stan Wawrinka was the Canadian killer at the ABN Amro this past week. First, he avenged that loss to Raonic in Australia, and it just feels like Stan and Milos are playing a lot of matches against each other, and I made the comment when I was watching this that I would love to see Stan versus Milos in a quarterfinal or a semifinal, not a second-round match. Yeah, it's too bad they're having to face each other so early. I guess we got to wait for Stan to get his ranking back up, and he's doing that. He's up to now number 41, so he's he's getting there. Uh, but obviously he's dealt with, with so much adversity uh, with that knee injury that really, uh, you know, took out the latter half of his 2017 season. And then 2018 was very difficult for him to get back on track. It was not like a, a Roger Federer return where suddenly snap your fingers and everything is roses again. Uh, I'm really happy to see uh, Stan playing so well. I wish it wasn't at the expense, obviously, of, of some Canadian players um, and, you know, he's a Canadian killer here, taking out both into the same tournament. And I think we got to kind of look back at the Rogers Cup last year where Tennis Canada gave him a wild card. And, uh, I mean, is this how he repays Canada after that <laughs> nice, uh, you know? So, but, but good for him. And, uh, and what do you think? I mean, a, a healthy Stan Wawrinka now uh, who's building momentum. Do you think he's someone who's, who's going to be a threat moving forward uh, at the Grand Slams this year? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And I think he's a player that sometimes prefers that best three of five format. It was interesting. I was looking back at his numbers when he reached the final here in Rotterdam. This was his first finals appearance since Roland Garros of 2017. And then I think back Mm -hmm. to that, how impressive that was that we kind of forget he was in the French Open final in 2017. That's not that long ago. So if he's starting to hit his stride and play his peak level, this is a guy that we shouldn't forget has won three Grand Slam titles. And if we're seeing a bit of a different peak of play from some players that we can certainly look uh, up and down the rankings at the top 20, top, top 30, and there's still plenty of guys in there uh, above the age of 30 that there's no reason to believe that Stan Wawrinka can't get back to that same level, uh, which kind of served him as a, a giant killer at times, giving him chances in Grand Slams, uh, including a few victories. So now that ranking is uh, just hovering outside top 40. He certainly looked like a top 15 player uh, to me this past week. Yeah, and then, you know, he makes it to the finals, uh, loses to Gael Monfils, which was, uh, you know, it's interesting. It was a, a final between two unseated players. But I don't think anybody would have been disappointed going to a Stan Wawrinka Gael Monfils final. I mean, just the fact that both of them have been such top-level players for so long. Both have very entertaining games. Wawrinka, that backhand is just gorgeous. And Monfils, you just never know what the guy is going to do. So I think fans there got a treat, even though none of the seeded players 
made it into that uh, ultimate match. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, look, Denis Shapovalov got one step further than Milos Raonic before losing the quarterfinal to Stan Wawrinka. But I thought this was a fine tournament for him. Tomas Burdick in the round of 16, we've talked about how, how great a 2019 Burdick has had a real resurgence. So I thought that was a pretty good win for him. And I'm just so surprised to see a little bit on Twitter, sort of the idea that like, what's going on with Dennis? Why isn't he breaking through? What's what's happening? And Rashmadani, you know, uh, highlighted this pretty well. He's 19 years old. This is going to take some time, and we're still early stages of of 2019. There's so uh, there's such a long way to go on this path, on this journey for, for Denis Shapovalov, that even if we don't see a finals appearance or a title in 2019, that doesn't mean it was a disappointing year. Yeah, I refuse to even entertain any of that kind of talk with Dennis because, uh, yeah, 19 years old, I mean, these people that are making any of these comments, uh, what, what did they do on a tennis court or, or in professional sports for that matter at that age? Uh, he's doing just fine. I, I think the win over Burdick was, very impressive for me, as you, you mentioned. He's been, you know, the Birdman's been doing real good this year. And if Dennis had even lost that match, I would have been like, all right, he got beat by a hot player, yep. a solid player, and, and a guy that's achieved quite a bit in his career. And, and Dennis is going to take some of those losses. He's still going to take some surprising losses, even though we see him seated in events now and, and ranked top, you know, 25. He's still learning and evolving, and he's still a 19-year-old who's going to be dealing with, you know, ups and downs on and off of the court. So, yeah, to lose to Vavrinka 6-4-7-6 in a second set tiebreak, there's no shame in that whatsoever. And you keep pushing forward. And uh, and I think the results are ultimately going to come for, for Dennis. And whether they come at, at 19 or, or 20, then, you know, let's just take a deep breath, people, because uh, we we got to be supportive of these these players in our country. We, we've seen what happens when we don't support them and we get on them perhaps a bit too early. And and these players would be lying if they said they didn't feel those expectations and, and those, you know, disappointed fans, because on social media, you're hearing it all the time, whether you want to, you can't block that out, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, unless you're going to completely steer clear of social media, which is uh, pretty hard to do these days, pretty difficult. I don't blame any athlete for uh, wanting to, to partake, because it's a good way as well to connect with your fans. You're listening to the Southpaw Slice. Remember, find us on Twitter, at Southpaw underscore Slice. We're on Instagram. Subscribe on SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Ben Lewis. He's Mike McIntyre. You can find me at Ben Lewis SN590. And you can find Mike at Pro Tennis Fan. Denis Shapovalov is making the quick turnaround and again playing this week at the Open 13 Provence. Uh, quick turnaround for him, but it is nice that he did get a bye and he's the fourth seed there. I'm just checking now. His first match is going to come up against Mikhail Kukushkin. And as we said, Braden Schnur will be playing in Delray Beach. Just a quick note in Buenos Aires this past week, we had a nice clay court event and Marco Cecchinato, uh picking up the title. There was a great match there between Dominic Team and Diego Schwartzman. Tough three-setter that Diego won. And I, I watched the highlights and I thought the level was just exceptionally high. And this gets me pretty fired up for the clay court season. I know we, we've seen Rafa just completely dominated the past couple of years, but I feel like there are a lot of contenders uh, building here towards this clay court season, a team obviously among them. And we, we know what Novak Djokovic is capable of on clay as well. Yeah, look, I'll make an exception for you here, Ben, because normally I don't talk clay court tennis until after Indian Wells in Miami. But, <laughs> That's uh, fair. <laughs> but there are, of course, these events that are sprinkled early in the season as well. And, um, you know, Cecchinato wins wins the final, and all I can think whenever I see his name is, my goodness, he's going to have a lot of points to defend at Rolling Garros this year. Um, but, uh, yeah, 
team, obviously, we're going to have a close eye on him on this surface uh, after what he's progressively done the last few seasons, you know, and making his first final there in Paris last year where he fell to Nadal. Uh, but it is going to be a little bit more interesting this year for, for Rafa when it gets to that surface, I, I would think, I would hope. Uh, because team is continuing that that upward trajectory. You've got Djokovic back in the mix, obviously. Zverev had his best slam result last year, making the quarterfinals there, and at some point he's going to go further. And there's that other guy, oh, what's his name, that's going to play on clay again this year for the first time in uh, in a while. Uh, like the initials oh, yeah, are Roger, RF, yeah. Right, yeah, Roger Federer too. So uh, when the clay court season officially does get here, I'll be I'll be pretty stoked to see what happens. Yeah, that's uh, certainly fair. And uh, one Canadian is playing the clay court circuit, as it were, right now. He'll be at the Rio Open this week. Felix Oje Aliassime, very tough draw for him uh, coming in as a wild card at this event. He has to deal with Fabio Fanini, who's the second seed there. So that's a really tough test for Felix. Uh, curious to see how he does because he's coming off a, an early loss the prior week. So quick turnaround for him looking to play his best tennis of course he was a big part of Canada getting past uh, Slovakia in in Fed Cup action we'll go to the women's side in Doha it was Elise Mertens uh, capturing the title beating Simona Halep in the finals there great win for her at a premier event and a tough loss in doubles first round for Gabriela Dabrowski uh, this has been a difficult 2019 for for our doubles star I, I hope she's not a little bit jaded by by the early results yeah, Gabby took such a big step up, I feel like, in, in 2018, obviously having, you know, slam success. And, and she's proven she's a, a solid uh, female doubles player and mixed doubles player. She's really carved out a nice sort of niche for herself in those two streams. Um, it doesn't play that much singles anymore. Occasionally we'll see her in sort of a, a qualities draw, but she doesn't really have to because she's been, you know, making decent money and, and up in the top 10 of the, the doubles world. But it seems like in 2019, it's, um, I don't want to say stalled, but she is having a little bit of trouble replicating the success of, of the past couple seasons so far. And I wonder if part of that is, is maybe that she's, you know, now considered a favorite and there's no more, you know, underdog or uh, that type of mentality. She's, you know, big seed, often even a number one seed. And uh, there's more expectations that come along with that. So I wonder if that isn't in some way sort of impacting the results we're seeing or if it's just an early season you know, still shaking off the rust for uh, for Dabrowski. Yeah, it's uh, it's a bit difficult to tell, but uh, clearly the the partnership with uh, Zhu Yifan is a solid one. Uh, that that's been her doubles partner for the latter half, I, I think, of a couple of years now on the women's side. Uh, so I, I think for her that that is working. I, I know they don't have any plans to, to change it up and it's quick turnaround again for her and her partner that they're playing in Dubai this week and as you said expectations yeah you have a fourth seed at this latest premier event next to your name maybe that does change change some elements I, I think she has been fallen victim as well to some tough matchups some tough draws I remember she had a really tough draw on the women's side at the Australian Open that first round with Strichkova, Vondrasova. That's incredibly difficult. So we'll see what she can do in, uh, in Dubai. She's playing tomorrow morning. Also in Dubai, Jeannie Bouchard, great start to her event uh, with, a, with a nice win in her first round match. And that's something we're seeing, I think, a lot more consistently that we look up Jeannie Bouchard's results and she's winning the first match or two of tournaments, which is going to make a big difference for her. Yeah, that's positive, and it seems like it's becoming sort of regular now, which is great. So if that's becoming the new norm, then what's it going to take to, you know, progress and, and move to that next step where you're getting more into the, you know, round of 16 quarterfinals of events? Uh, this is going to be certainly difficult in Dubai as her next opponent is uh, Simona Halep. 
and uh, Halep leads that head-to-head three matches to one. Uh, the only time that Jeannie was able to beat the Romanian was in uh, her Wimbledon run back in 2014, where she knocked Halep out of the semifinals. Since then, Halep hasn't had any difficulty with Jeannie in their two matches since that time. Um, but, you know, Halep isn't exactly firing on all cylinders either so far in 2019. I mean, good run last week, yes. But uh, earlier in the season, didn't get as far as, as she would have liked at the Aussie Open. And, and some coaching changes that are going on that also, you know, maybe there's a little bit of uh, you know, changes off the court. Maybe that'll impact the, uh, you know, her focus on the court right now. Yeah, she's been searching, I guess, uh, for a new partner that we, we su- uh, saw the surprise breakup late last season in November where her and uh, Darren Cahill split. I think everybody's surprised because Darren Cahill really bought, brought Simona Halep or helped Simona Halep reach new heights that she had never seen in her career, finally getting that first Grand Slam title. Uh, so she tried out a trial partnership with Thierry Van Klimput. That lasted one week and didn't work, so she's again coachless. And this is going to be a very quick turnaround for her as well, uh, reaching the finals of Qatar, playing a few long three-set matches and then you're heading right over to Dubai uh, getting an early match uh, tomorrow against Jeannie Bouchard. I think if Jeannie wants an opportunity to really challenge and push a top player, this is the perfect scenario. Simona, Simona Halep, I don't want to say she's completely searching for form because uh, she it was just in a final uh, mm-hmm, and did mm-hmm. lose to Serena at Australia and that was obviously a tough match. I, I think she is playing good tennis but uh, maybe there could be a little fatigue involved here in, in, in Dubai and Jeannie Bouchard made pretty quick work of uh, Vera Lapko in her uh, straight sets win. So if we're looking to which player is going to be fresher, this is a great opportunity for Jeannie Bouchard to at least push one of these top players. Yeah, absolutely. And I hope she brings a little bit of fire on court. And I hope if things don't go well early for Jeannie, that she also finds a way to sort of mentally get through that and, and strategize because the last match of hers that I watched was the uh, thumping she took from uh, fellow Canadian Bianca Andreescu. And that was really a dud where she didn't seem to have any idea of what to do next. So hopefully against Halep, you know, even if it gets off to a, a tougher start, she stays in there because the last thing Halep wants is, uh, yeah, a long, tough three-set match after what she's just recently been through. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, Bouchard's been saying all the right things uh, in, in interviews, uh, post-match, pre-match, saying she wants to be the best version of herself. She's not uh, interested in, I think, comparing her game now as to what it was in 2014 when she had that best season. She just wants to be, uh, produce her best possible tennis, get to the highest level she can reach. And we'll see how she fares in a big-time challenge against Simona Halep tomorrow morning. We did have one other coaching controversy. I mean, we talked about it the other week. Naomi Osaka splitting with Sasha Bajan and in inside the rumor mill I guess maybe people thought it had to do with money and Naomi Osaka uh, answered those questions to some degree insisting money had nothing to do with this coaching split whatsoever and she sort of alluded to feeling kind of sad and not quite herself not enjoying herself on court uh, through maybe this partnership and that she wants a little more positive energy uh, I think from her next coach. Yeah, it was it was very interesting to read those comments that uh, were on uh, you know WTA uh, Insider Twitter account there, Courtney uh, Nguyen, and um, I, I was surprised because I I assumed as as many did, or at least my leading sort of uh, hypothesis was well it must have been money you know when it won a couple slams and and there's some sort of negotiating about hey let's revisit how our partnership is working from a financial aspect, but 
no, she said that that wasn't it. And she almost felt hurt that people had even suggested that. Um, but yeah, the fact that she wasn't just feeling good about, uh, you know, stepping out onto the court, wasn't looking forward to it in practice and stuff like that. Mentioned that even in the Aussie Open, it was, uh, you know, the relationship was not sort of clicking between them. And uh, I wonder what this does, uh, less for Naomi Osaka, because I think she's going to be fine with just about anybody. Mm-hmm. I wonder what it does for Sasha Bajan moving forward in terms of, uh, you know, people um, looking to him as their next option. Obviously, he's had great results with people, uh, you know, it stretches on, on the court, Grand Slam, uh, you know, champions and, and players of, of high, high caliber. But at the same point, we're seeing these partnerships are also not lasting perhaps as long as we thought. And maybe there's some red flags now that, that some players would, would not be so quick to uh, to try him out. And I guess we'll have to wait and see what uh, what happens next. There. Yeah, we will. You wonder if uh, sometimes results just trump everything as well, that uh, another top 20 player takes a chance on him. It's kind of unclear, uh, but Naomi Osaka made it clear that she was, quote, unwilling to sacrifice her happiness um, and uh, doesn't want a coach saying negative stuff, uh, believes in positive energy. Maybe this is a reflection of just how good her game is that uh, she was maybe not uh, getting along with the coach at all at the Australian Open and she still goes out and wins the event. That's pretty incredible. She's going to be the number one seed at the Dubai Tennis Championships. She plays her first uh, round match tomorrow, which we will be watching closely. And I know, Mike, that you've uh, locked down uh, an awesome guest for us next week as well. <laughs> yeah, we're doing all right these days, I feel like. I don't want to toot our own horn too much. But uh, next week coming up, we've got uh, uh, chair umpire, very respected chair umpire, Eva Azdaraki Moore, uh, who is going to be coming on with us for uh, 10, 15 minutes anyways. And she did say, uh, you know, hopefully the baby in the background isn't making too much noise because she did give birth and become a mom for the first time in July and just recently returned to action at the Hopman Cup. And such a well-respected official. And, you know, it, it's rare in any sport that officials get kudos for the good work they do. Often they just get lambasted when they have a poor performance. And if they do well, they kind of go unnoticed. But she is notorious for making great calls. And she's also wonderful to speak to. And so, uh, yeah, very much looking forward to having her on with us next week yeah that will be fantastic new insight i just remember watching a specific match uh well, i couldn't name the players at the australian open and uh ava was uh chair umpiring that one and within the span of a game or two we had four different calls with challenges she stepped in and overruled two of them correctly she laid off a couple other calls literally got every single one right and there was like a succession of five of them i was like how how great are your eyes is, <laughs> is there such a thing as better than 2020 vision uh, because she yeah. has it better than Hawkeye. I think they just flip Hawkeye off actually during the matches she's working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Azdaraki I can be a, a taking over for Hawkeye. It might be even more accurate. Uh, so it'll be great to speak to her next week. Mike, thanks as always uh, for joining me, and it was great to have Bianca Andreescu on the episode. I hope the fans enjoy that one. You have been listening to the Southpaw Slice. Remember, find us at Southpaw underscore Slice. We will talk to you next week.
Just wait.